You're listening to the What Is It Show. Life, reality, and redemption. Here's your host, Shane Haleko. This podcast is meant for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. The story you are about to listen to is a true story, based on events over the last few years. This podcast is being narrated by Frank Perez. Episode 4 To move forward with this journey, we need to go back. My son Sean, along with being autistic, also had developmental delays, low muscle tone, and even more concerning, he had two heart murmurs. One was small, but the other one was very big. It was a serious enough condition that we had one of the best cardio doctors assigned to him. Overall, Sean is really a loving boy. He is very sociable and loves to give big hugs. It is the autism that makes it extremely difficult for him to control his impulses and his inability to self-regulate his behaviors when he becomes upset. My wife and I were beginning to notice some of Sean's aggressive behaviors as early as 2005 when Sean was just four years old. We began to bring Sean to multiple professionals throughout the state of Massachusetts and Rhode Island to have him tested in an effort to find out what was causing these types of unsafe, explosive, non-compliant behaviors. Thankfully, my wife has a medical background. She had great benefits, but we knew that we would need double coverage for Sean to be fully covered. And even with double coverage, we still needed to pay out of pocket for certain services. Now here's where the mental health care system is really screwed up. It took my wife three months and one full notebook to finally get the second insurance that Sean needed, which in this case was Massachusetts Health. She even took a leave of absence from her job at the hospital because of two reasons. Number one, she would be on the phone all day getting the runaround. Oh, sorry, you have to call this agency for that. Oh no, this isn't the right department to call. You have to call this number, blah, blah, blah unhelpful and empathetic as to what a family is going through. We are in a major crisis trying to keep our son safe. And reason number two, for all the professional doctor appointments that we needed to attend. Her working full time was not an option. Taking care of Sean was. We began looking for other school options. We knew it was just a matter of time before Sean would begin displaying his aggressive, unsafe behaviors in school. But because Sean was displaying most of his aggressive behaviors at home and not at school, the school department did not support investigating out-of-district schooling. Yeah, I mean, why would the school department want to be proactive? I mean, what do I know? I've only been working with this type of population for 10 plus years. The last thing I would ever consider doing is to have my son in an out-of-district school. He was only four years old, but he got to the point where he needed to be restrained multiple times at home, even at that young age. I figured if he could get the proper placement for school, we would be able to handle Sean's behaviors when he got home. To me, it was like setting up a structured residential schedule at home from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Now. Due to Sean's unsafe behaviors, I set up his bedroom as if it were a residential bedroom to keep him safe. I added plexiglass on his window, removed the baseboard heating, and removed all electrical outlets. I also had strong wood paneling put on his walls, hoping that this would deter him from trying to punch holes in his bedroom walls. 
I removed light fixtures, any sharp or hard objects, including his dresser and bed frame, and even went as far as having a three-quarter inch solid oak door installed with a reverse lock, leaving Sean with just a few soft items, such as his stuffed animals. It did not take long for the school department to witness the behaviors that we had warned them about. Sean stayed in the public school system from September of 2005 until April of 2006, seven months altogether. At one point, I received a call from the school psychologist requesting that I come to the school immediately to pick Sean up. She stated that she had never seen the types of behaviors that Sean was displaying. Sean had spent some time that day smearing his feces on the school wall and urinating in the hallway. This incident ended up shutting down a whole wing of the school. Needless to say, this was Sean's last day at that public school. Sean has just been recently hospitalized for self-injurious behaviors while at home, and while he was hospitalized, we had an IEP meeting, also known as an Individual Education Plan meeting, with the quote-unquote school department team. Once again, we expressed our concerns for Sean being in the public school system with staff that were not properly trained for his types of behaviors, and nor should they be. It is, after all, a public school. This public school could not provide the structure that Sean needed to keep himself safe and others as well. It was as if everything we were saying, all of our concerns, were falling on deaf ears. After that, Sean went to the collaborative school. I remember them telling us not to worry because, in their own words, they had seen it all when it came to behaviors. Well, it did not take long for them to tell us that due to his severe behaviors, we needed to be available during school hours in case we had to pick him up. This was the case multiple times, by the way. Sometimes my father-in-law would assist me picking up Sean while staff escorted him out of the building in a sleeping bag in order to keep him as well as staff members safe. His tendency to assault staff was ongoing and did cause many injuries to them. It was not long before they discharged Sean from the collaborative school to the Bradley Hospital Outpatient School. Sean's behaviors began to get more out of control. This led to ongoing hospitalizations beginning around April of 2006 to around January of 2012. During this time frame, we pleaded with the school department to allow us to begin the search for full-time residential services. Around June of 2009, we were given a letter from one of the leading doctors at Bradley Hospital that requested for Sean to be placed in 24-7 residential placement. If there had been a bill in place, like Bill H-132 that we created and has yet to be passed into law, the doctor's request would have overruled any and all other denials for residential care and the residential placement process would have begun. Because the Department of Development Services would not assist in the funding with the school department, the school department continued to deny our request for residential services. Instead, they put in place wraparound services that would provide support to us when Sean got home from school. Now, I don't mean any disrespect, but these services were nothing but a joke. And sadly, the professionals that came to our house were oftentimes assaulted by Sean. On one home visit by the quote-unquote professionals, Sean began to escalate and went outside in our front yard. The staff, along with my wife and I, followed Sean outside. 
he immediately began to assault staff, ripping their clothing, breaking one of the professional's glasses, biting, punching, kicking, spitting. I asked if they needed my help to intervene, but they stated that they were all set. They were using the ignoring negative behavior strategy. I explained to them that this does not work with Sean. He began to damage one of the staff's car, ripping off windshield wipers, breaking the headlights, and even smashing the side view windows. By the time Sean was done, the car was not even in driving condition. He then began using the wipers as a weapon to physically assault staff, which led to injuries to the staff. The strategy they used of ignoring negative behaviors obviously did not work. We then were provided with a staff member that would come to our house from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. to provide extra support. This staff member was also allowed to restrain our son by placing hands on him if he needed to. The staff member was young with very little experience. He was big, I would say six foot three inches, 260 pounds. But due to his lack of proper training, Sean was able to lure this staff member out of our sight and without any warning would suddenly begin choking him until I intervened. We asked Sean why he did that and he stated that the staff member simply just had a squashy neck and that he wanted to squeeze it. Squeezing was part of Sean's sensory diet. He got some kind of stimulation from squeezing squashy items. This also didn't happen just once, but it happened twice. Still to this day, I do not know how that could have happened though. Obviously, these services were adding no value to us or Sean. Now, here is when his behaviors became real severe. January 8th, 2010, a Friday morning. We were trying to get Sean ready for the bus. Sean is now nine years old and getting bigger and more aggressive. As he resisted getting ready, he stormed off into the sunroom, slamming the French door, and in the process, chopping off the top of one of his toes. 911 was called, and Sean was transported to Hasbro Children's Hospital, where he was treated. Once he was on demand, he was then transported to intake at Bradley Hospital. This type of unsafe behaviors were only the tip of the iceberg and would only continue to escalate with time. And that is what it is. The details and accuracy of these events are to the best of our knowledge. Any discrepancy in terms of time and or dates are not intended to mislead the listener. These stories are true and officially documented. Stay tuned to episode 5 of these podcast series.